Okay, big energy. Take 24. <laughs> We've all been rehearsing on our own, getting the pronunciation of these names perfect. Alseth Moret. I expect perfection from all of you. Mm. We will stay here all night if we have to. Oh, man. I don't want to hear another drop uh. suffix or another mispronounced Edrahasavar. It's 4 a.m. So <laughs> yeah. Summer, for the last time. That's how you say it. <laughs> All right. Were you Welcome reading? Back. Did, have, did you read the pronunciation guide? Oh, I certainly did not. Okay, good. Because I didn't. Well, it, I, I. That's not true. I read the first paragraph and then I nodded off. Uh, <clears throat> and then I did not continue with the pronunciation guide. <laughs> Uh, so that's a metaphor. Welcome back. We are for this we are recording episode five of the Space Biff Book Space. Woo! Whoop, whoop. We are really doing it. Uh, I'm your host, not as always, uh, Brock Polson, and with me as always, a man who reads and writes like it's his job, <laughs> Mr. Dan Throw. It's a career. <laughs> and ever at his side, Summer set Winter's Throw. That's me. Never really So, sure. let's get into <laughs> The Goblin Emperor. Uh, I finished this book uh, perhaps within the last 12 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's fresh in my mind. Nice. Did you have a stressful week? I've had a, a stressful month, month, one could say. Yikes. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it. I mean, I, I just, I stretched it out. I just savored it. I timed it just right. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with, with uh, finishing it today. I only finished it like three days ago. Yeah, see? It's good, so it'll be it'll be fresh. Summer, when did you finish it? Uh, a while ago, so <clears throat> I'll be a little rusty. <laughs> <laughs> so some of us won't have thought about what we won't have internalized it, and you will have forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Sounds perfect. about right. <laughs> Seems ideal. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, Yikes. I think the first thing we want to talk about is some things that uh, the Goblin Emperor is not about. So, Dan, why don't you give us some wrong spoilers? Okay. Action-packed. <laughs> that's, that's a very good wrong spoiler. Okay. <laughs> if you thought this was going to be a romping adventure, you would be incorrect. <laughs> okay, here's my... Uh, I only came up with three. That was my first one. I feel like I won't outdo it. We'll find out. Uh, the second one was, The Goblin Emperor's testicles hang from his throat. Gross. Do you get it? Wait, what? It's just, the, just the whole... Uh, no, I'm not sure I get it. Yeah, what? Well, the, the Goblin King from The Hobbit. Oh, yes. Okay. He has I that, do. like, goiter. On In his, the movie? Yeah, the movie. Oh, I don't really remember the movie. I know, I only saw the first one. But he has, that's all I remember, was that he had this big, hanging, fleshy, bulbous sack oh, okay. from his throat. Oh, yeah, it really he totally sticks had with a you. Yeah. I don't remember that. I just remember the bad CGI. Well, that was a problem, too. 
<laughs> in a way, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, we're kind of Yeah. Okay, here's my last one, Brock. According to the pronunciation guide that Catherine Addison included in the back of the book, whenever you see an apostrophe in an Elvish name, it's pronounced boing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would make for it. That would make it action-packed. Yeah. So when when someone comes in, they say, ah, it's Doc Boing Osmer. (laughs) So-and-so. I can't even come up with a name. Oh, very good. All right, those are all my spoilers. Excellent. My wrong spoilers. I I actually have a ton of real spoilers, Brock. Yeah. Why don't we uh, Why don't we dive into that? Yeah. Give us uh, Give us the story. Okay. Um, <clears throat> as a disclaimer for our re- listeners, um, I will spoil everything to the highest degree of accuracy. Wow. Highest. Yeah. The pinnacle he's of accuracy. Like, he's got pages of notes in front of him. Right I have here. two and a half pages of synopsis. Not double spaced. Uh, They're single spaced. Single spaced. Twelve point one type. One of those always sunny in Philadelphia, uh, crazy person walls, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I, I actually have drawn, used some red thread to connect <laughs> pertinent relationships. <laughs> I don't know of any other way to connect pertinent relationships. I'm excited for this precise synopsis so that I can remember the book better. Yes. Okay. Now, now silence. I have to have absolute perfect silence. Wait, can I laugh? No. Okay. (laughs) In the middle of the night... The royal inhabitants of the tiny household of Edenomi are awakened by a midnight messenger from the elvish Unthylanese court. The young half-goblin, half-elf Maya is the youngest son of Emperor Berenetchebel IV, but has lived at Edenomi his entire life because his mother Chinolo displeased the emperor with her goblinish bloodline. Since her death, Maya has lived alone with Sethrus Nilar, his abusive cousin, and... Mentor. The messenger carries astounding news. The emperor, Emperor Verenachabel, along with his children Nimolus, Nimerian Imaran, Najira, Cirrus, and Vetero, have died in the crash of the Wisdom of Choharo, an elvish airship, under mysterious circumstances. This means that Maya is the new emperor of the Athuveraz and is expected to journey aboard the Radiance of Cairado to the Unthylanese court, where he will be coronated at the leisure of the Lord Chancellor Ularis Chavar. I hope you're paying attention because there's going to be a test. <laughs> okay. Upon arriving at the Alsethmeret, the imperial residence at the Unthylanese court, Maya moves quickly to ensure his coronation. He is assigned two sets of nohetcheri, or bodyguards for the vulgarly uneducated. (laughs) He is condescended to by the Lord Chancellor Chavar and begins muddling his way through courtly rituals, how to respond to endless letters from courtiers and petitioners, and dealing with the fact that he no longer has any privacy. Even his nocturnal... um, Habits are observed by a bodyguard in his room and watchers through grills in his walls. He sleeps fitfully. Creepy. Within days, 
Everything this 19-year-old uneducated goblin emperor does at court draws the ire of royalty, nobility, and even the simple people whose entire job is to put on the emperor's socks. <laughs> he visits the funeral for the crew of the Wisdom of Choharo at the Ulamare, refuses to honor a secret business arrangement between his dead father and dock-boying Osmer Tethamar, <laughs> ignores the whining of his father's widow, and instead of letting Lord Chancellor Chavar handle the investigation into the airship crash on his own, appoints an independent investigator. Stupid Maya, apparently honoring the dead, not bending to special interests, ignoring a frumpy widow's jealous ravings, and pursuing justice for a murdered emperor are totally beyond the purview of the most powerful man in the Athuveraz. Goblin. That night... He sleeps fitfully. <laughs> Still, Maya surrounds himself with some helpful personalities, most notably his men men messenger, uh, Sesevet or something, and manages to be crowned Edrahasavar Seventh. Not taking his jerk dad's name is another huge slight, just in case you didn't know. Maya didn't. He couldn't. Whenever he tries to learn anything, his servants and Nohetcheri inform him that they can't be his friends. That night... Maya sleeps fitfully. <laughs> <laughs> he, he tends to do Poor that. Poor guy. <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> With the coronation and his father's funeral out of the way, Maya meets the Karajas. They're apparently his advisors, but mostly they just boss him around. He sleeps fitfully. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, Maya is invited to a fancy pants party where he's introduced to Min Vetchin, a super hot elf with the lungs of a banshee. <laughs> and in the Athuveras, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maya ignores his duties in order to attend more of these parties, his imperial brigade growing tighter every time he sees Menvashin. <laughs> he sleeps hornily. <laughs> wait, wait, let's get, let's get another one. No laughter. Let's go ahead okay. and get, get a second take of that. <clears throat> he sleeps hornily. <laughs> that was the part I wanted another take of. I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> Over the next 200 pages, some things of exceptionally minor importance occur. <laughs> to get rid of his abusive cousin, Sethris, Maya assigns him a job far away. Revenge. His grandfather announces he will visit over winter night. He's the great Avar of the Goblin Empire of Berejan, which sounds like a lot more fun, and a tenth as stuffy as the Unthylanese court. At this point, someone named Ezra expresses a ghastness about the Emperor's lack of education. Since I can't remember who anybody is, especially since they all carry the prefix Osman or Dakboing Osmer, I look up Ezra in the appendix. I'm gratified to discover that he's one of five people who isn't listed by surname, which means I can actually locate his entry. I learned that Ezra is an Edocherai. When I look up Edocherai, I learned that it's the fourth of the seven holy spheres of Kelcherai. When I look up Kelcherai, it isn't in the appendix. <laughs> this happens roughly every chapter. <laughs> I, s I sleep fitfully. <laughs> oh no, it's transferring. <laughs> while, at one, yeah. while at one of his fancy parties, Maya gets an invitation he cannot refuse. Min Vashin, the elf babe responsible for tightening the royal trousers, <laughs> <laughs> invites Maya to a private meeting. Maya accepts and gets clock blocked. <laughs> oh, no. 
Oh, that's so good. Block. Literally, because the meeting. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. He gets clock blocked. Literally, because the meeting <laughs> is with the clocksmiths union of Zhao, who hope to erect a bridge oh across the Istan Dertha. <laughs> Poor Maya. Poor 19 year old Maya. <laughs> okay, so they want to build a bridge, you guys. It's across the Istandartha, the largest river in the Thuvaraz. <clears throat> Maya is fascinated by their proposal. When Min Vashin offers to spend the night with him, he does what any 19-year-old emperor would do and turns her down. He sleeps fitfully. <laughs> Alone. Alone. And cold. Winter, and watched. Winter, yeah, and watched. Maya finally gets a lucky break when Lord Chancellor Chavar and the Princess Shavayan attempt a coup by kidnapping him in his pajamas. Wait, this is a lucky break? They demand that he agree to abdication <laughs> and retire to a monastery. The lucky break part is that the usurpers don't have any military support. They left living witnesses back in Maya's room to fetch help when they figure out that the emperor is missing. And the guy they're ostensibly seizing power for, Chevian's son Idra, kind of thinks being emperor looks like a drag. <laughs> Everybody is flabbergasted that he holds this opinion. The conspirators are captured, and everyone pats Maya on the back for surviving his first coup. Apparently, this happens every other weekend in the Athuvaraz. <laughs> Despite his newfound approval, Maya sleeps fitfully. <laughs> he arranges for his usurpers to be exiled rather than executed, because he's perfect. The great Avar arrives at the, at the mayonnaise court. <laughs> Maya gets to know his grandfather, but the meeting is interrupted by a long letter from Maya's investigator looking into the crash of the wisdom of Choharo. The letters... Uh, the the letter details the particulars of a radical religious sect, but with only a hundred pages left in the book, it doesn't seem like a plot point that will go anywhere, so Maya only skims it. <laughs> <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> Maya also meets his future empress. At first she's cold because she's heard that Maya is stupid. No idea why. But they gradually warm to each other. She teaches him how to dance and brags about knowing how to duel. So it seems like they'll get along. He still fit, sleeps fitfully. <laughs> At the winter night ball, Dak Boing Osmer Tethemar, <laughs> whose complaint against the emperor you'll surely remember, uh, I do, enacts his master plan to get rid of the emperor by lunging at him with a dagger in front of thousands of witnesses and with the royal Nohetri standing in the way. He fails and dies, to the total surprise of his co-conspirators. It turns out he's the one behind the bombing of the Wisdom of Chohara. We should have seen it coming. I love it when a mystery provides enough clues for us to solve it on our own. <laughs> anyway, having survived two coups in one week, Maya is now very popular. His grandfather finally leaves to return to the fun Goblin Kingdom, but not before leaving a bunch of soldiers to help Maya retain power. Maya finally realizes that being emperor pretty much means he can just tell people to do things and they'll have to do it. So he orders the clocksmith's bridge built across the Istandartha. Because of this, he earns the nickname Edrahasivar the Bridge Builder. And for the first time, a chapter ends without telling us how fitfully he slept. <laughs> the end. Oh, very good. Nice. So, this is the part where we reveal that my choosing of this book 
uh, was just a cruel prank to make you pronounce all those names. <laughs> so I guess we'll just end the recording here, right? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> all right. It's a wrap. I pretty much skimmed over all the names, so I never really knew who anyone was except for a few people. I was like, oh, well, boy, this guy there. gets mentioned a lot. <laughs> when I was doing the synopsis, I was like, yeah, it's the it's the widow of the emperor who's doing the coup. And then I was like, no, that's Sasoru, not Shivayan. And I don't even yeah. remember who oh, Shivayan was. <laughs> like what? his uh, his fiance comes onto the scene, you know, five separate times, and every time I was like, "Is this? Uh, I think this is. Well, I guess it might be the fiance. I'll just have to <laughs> find out." <laughs> yep, look, turns out that's her. Yeah, this time it was. <laughs> was that everyone's biggest complaint with this thing? That you had no idea who anyone was. Well, oh boy, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. She sh- <clears throat> Catherine Addison didn't give us much help, to be honest. No, it kind of leaves you leaves you spinning. Like for a while, I thought that Osman or whatever was like a name. Mm, so yeah, I was like, like some... why does why do all these girls have the same stupid name? <laughs> was it just in yeah. Was it just in vogue during the reign of Verenetchable? It's like it's like Brittany or Ashley. <laughs> yeah, or Coco. Exactly. Right, yeah. like Coco. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I well, had to offer. Uh, that was Thank that you. was thorough and and very well said. Uh, so let's find out. I mean, we'll we'll get into what we thought. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go for some bad takes. I'm excited for these. The, you know, <laughs> one one in particular, uh, the the subject line of this one star review reads nothing happens <laughs> and uh well I, I do i dis i do disagree you do but only on a on a technicality <laughs> four things no, not, happen <laughs> I, I think maybe that's an exaggeration uh so this person says nothing happens i gave up after about halfway Nothing much happens, and a drag to keep up with the names. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I agree with that part. Uh, yep. Uh, this person suggests maybe you should save your time and money by reading the one-paragraph Wikipedia entry. <laughs> and, and says you could easily skip 20 pages at a stretch yeah. and not miss anything important. <clears throat> My mom was asking me... Was um, she was up really late one night? It was way past her usual bedtime, and she said, "I picked the wrong book to read to help me fall asleep." And I said, "I have a good one for you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you could sell this book to Baylor. <laughs> uh, and then a pharmaceutical company. All right. Oh sure, okay. Uh, this, I mean, I mean, this is just mean. The subject is one star, and the entirety of the review is one word, awful. <laughs> what? That's I not think, awful. I don't think that's fair. I disagree heartily with that one. The naming system? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's cumbersome, certainly. Can we talk it's, about it? Like, what we thought of the naming system? Wait, hey, let's, hey. Is that one yeah, of your let's, conversation uh, it topics? It is. Okay, yeah, well, we is. can wait for you to be in charge. Yeah. So, yeah, let's uh, let's hand the reins to Summer. Are you ready? <clears throat> yeah. 
I would like to start off the discussion with a game. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Another game. Yeah, are you ready? Which of these from the book do you want to be? You've got three choices. Oh, good. Number one, Veremnet. Number two. I don't know who that is. Number two. (laughs) Okay. Upazhira. Number three, Drazdebuk. Was there a boing in any of those? No, no boings. No Because that would, that would help me know who it was. No apostrophes. Lock in your answer now. Choose. Uh, I'll say him again. Veremnet, Upazira, Drazdebuk. Okay, so do we have to each choose a different one and then yeah. we find out our fate? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, very Isn't that good. great? I want to be Uzba, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, one. I was I was leaning for Drajdebek. Excellent. I don't okay, even I'll know be, which one I'll I am. Be, now. I'll be I'll be Veremnet. <laughs> okay, let's hear yours. <clears throat> Veremnet is a game preserve. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> right. And then like he spends some time like they're like they've been poaching. Uh, I don't think anyone visited this place. No, no, no. They it's when they come to bug him about like bridge water rights. And they're oh, like, yeah, and, this, and some there, people have been right? like poaching on this land. See, I don't even remember. And then they're like, do you care? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's what I chose. Um, Dan, you chose Upazira. That's a tributary. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Brock, I'm most excited that you chose the last one. <laughs> okay. Because it's a chamber pot. so here's the question does Brock resent his fate or does he like it because a chamber pot would enjoy like it's hungry for it I am yeah it depends on which chamber pot I think it is right it's in the emperor's chamber pots are dirty boys well because it like every chapter tells us what Maya eats for breakfast just like it ends with telling us how he slept um it depends what he's eaten like is this a post-dried apricot <laughs> chamber pot or is this like a maya 11 hours after a feast at nerevis's place who's that again <laughs> <laughs> that's the son of the high chancellor who throws oh, parties yeah, and party invites boy. him to meet Min Vashin, That's right. who he's all randy for. <clears throat> <laughs> well, this game leads me to my first question, which is what you wanted to talk about anyway. Does the confusing nomenclature add to or detract from the story? So when I was a boy, <clears throat> <laughs> when I was young, I actually got really fascinated by the imperial court and the electors of the Holy Roman Empire. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, you married. Gosh, you must married have been so me. much fun. <laughs> and um, oh boy. And I remember I would go to the library and like read all this stuff about like imperial intrigues, but the problem was is they were like all named Frederick, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. to me it was just like a bunch of dudes named Frederick like teaming up and electing an emperor named Frederick, and then he would poison <laughs> someone named Frederick, and his nephew Frederick would like somehow backstab him and become the new Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> And uh, so it was interesting, and I couldn't really follow it. <laughs> and that's, I this book isn't that bad. Um, so this was nostalgic for you. Well, like so that <laughs> was like a throwback. Yeah. Like, well, like 
What was that, Brock? Oh, I said it's like, it was like a throwback oh, to yeah. childhood okay. years. Yeah. I'm just making sure I could still hear you. Yeah, the... Uh... I got lost a lot when they had to refer to the appendix a ton, and the appendix doesn't have everything in it, which drove me bananas. Um, like, it would use a word that I would search for online, and it would turn, like, Othamer or something. Because, like, you would read it, and it would just say, like, this building is part of the Othamer. And then I would go online, because I'm like, is this a word I just don't know? And no, it, none of those. And, and, it, and it would link to the Goblin Emperor's Index. I figured that like all the words were made up, so I just stopped looking in the index because it didn't. It never helped me. I, I so I just kind of muddled along until I figured out who it was. That's pretty much what I did. Wow. Yeah, I I think it may it may have detracted from my enjoyment slightly, uh, but but I. I I don't know why I'm I'm very willing to to forgive this particular uh, sin mm-hmm. from this book because I I really like this book. Hmm. You know, this is the second time I've read it, and I just uh, I just really enjoy Maya's. It, it, it's a I feel like it's a subtle book. You know, it's not. It is it is the opposite of epic fantasy. You know, <laughs> it is small scale <laughs> fantasy. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, it speaks to me for some reason. So, just, so do you like the political intrigues, or do dis- you like the? I almost disagree like the, with you, Brock. Like the, the just Maya's angst. I, I, I would not have expected to enjoy the the court intrigue as much as I did, but I really think that's what does it for me. Is like, you know, Maya learning the customs and and trying to sort of navigate the uh the difficulties you know and, and he has uh he has Savet his his secretary there with him who uh you know I just I, I love that guy I just he seemed a very helpful individual he's just so he's so competent and um you know and so intelligent I, I just I think he's a great character yeah what Dan what do you what in particular, do you disagree with? Well, so not not on liking this book. I actually did like it overall. I kind of I'm I'm almost the inversion of that bad take you read, where up till about the halfway point, I was totally uninterested. Um, okay. I so I I had I had had a previous abortive attempt at this book where I barely right. I barely made it out of part one. Um, just like by the time he got to the, it was one of those things where like the, there was so much terminology and so many proper nouns that I stepped away for a couple of weeks. And by the time I came back, it was like chapter four. I was already like, Lost. who on earth? It, it is not inviting. Yeah. No, it's you have very, to invest in this right, book. And, I, and I, w- I would call it challenging. I don't think it's, sure. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's a challenging book. But, um, so uh, until about halfway through, I was just... I wasn't there. I didn't... I, I'd like to talk about Maya later. Uh, maybe this is one of your questions, Summer. Um, I, I thought he was almost too plucky, too perfect. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree to an extent. And uh, so we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, um, however, at around the halfway point, I, something did turn for me. Um and I was more invested, and it's it's maybe because some of those intrigues began bearing fruit. 
um, like there were actual rumblings that someone would actually do something to him, um, as opposed to just kind of suffering his being dumb. Um, but here's where I disagree with you, Brock. Is uh, so you said, and maybe you can clarify this for me. So you you say it's almost like the opposite of high fantasy. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, and I think what I said is epic fantasy. Oh, okay. Um, which I think they're, I, I do think they they run along parallel lines. But when I think of epic fantasy, I think of, um, y- you know, I- enormously powerful heroes and, uh, you know, huge battles with, with enormous stakes. And I think that this... Um, the stakes are are low for Maya in in a lot of senses, but they are um, but they're sort of depicted as being so so crucial. So so it does not feel like there there's no risk mm-hmm. to to Maya. Um, it's just you know there's not generally physical risk, but you know. Uh, saving face in court and you know using the right words uh, those those uh, are made to be the you know the risky the the perils of his life mm-hmm. so to so uh, I don't want so so to me I would almost classify this in a different direction I guess like uh, I kind of thought of it as grim dark fantasy. <laughs> Um, okay, and, the re- and there is, and the reason the, here's here's why I say that. Sorry, is um, so in grimdark fantasy, to me, it's usually about grungy people like mercenaries and soldiers and outlaws. Um, but um, there, one of my favorite book trilogies is the First Law by Joe Abercrombie, and in that, one of its characters is a royal. And so near the end of the trilogy, you get details about his royal life. Um, and to me, grimdark is just about being like earthy and very realistic, and, um, and and kind of bound by convention and fate. Like like nothing changes. Like if you're if you're a poor mercenary, you're gonna die a poor mercenary after mm-hmm. bloodletting and violence. Um, but actually, it kind of all of my struggles reminded me a little bit of of those portions of the first law, except. It's like somebody in a grimdark universe, except he's very powerful, because he was actually very powerless, um, and he was very bound by conventions and fate. And once he's, you know, they say you're going to be emperor, he's he doesn't really have a choice to not be. His choice is just, you know, do I take hold of this situation or do I get pushed around by the Lord Chancellor? Um, like he he yeah. he still has a marked like lack of agency in pretty much everything he does, even until the end, I felt like he, he improves his, his attitude and he makes some friendships, but like, he still has to wrangle the courage he, he's still kind of, you know, he's, he's bound by restrictions of his class, uh, which to me is a very grim, dark kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really care too much about genre. Um, right actual classifying but i do think um you know and when i think of grimdark uh i i don't have a ton of experience with it but a, a sort of word or or sense that comes to my mind is that things have weight that, yeah you know that 
um, magic isn't easy. You know, fighting is not easy. And, and I think that the, the few times that magic and, uh, and violence are depicted, they, they are significant and weighty. Yeah. Well, and even like failing to act is a type of action in this yes. story. Like, mm-hmm. like Dak boying Osmer Tethermar, um, <laughs> he's mad because, not because Maya has actually even done anything. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I guess there was the investigation. But um, he's mostly mad because Maya hasn't honored a business arrangement uh, for the marriage. A secret right. one. Yeah, that they that his father hadn't written down anywhere, so Maya couldn't confirm it. So, but yeah, I, I, I liked it. Summer, what, tell us your personal journey of liking or disliking this thing. <laughs> um, um, I definitely didn't like, you know, all the confusing names, which we've talked about. But, um... And I'm not the hugest fan of of political intrigue books. Like, I generally feel that's the boring part to me, which this whole book was. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I found it interesting enough being in this different world and the, you know, the... the troubles he was having, you know, like all the personal, like emotional problems he was having being in this position that, you know, you think if you're the emperor, you can do what you want. But in his case, he really couldn't do what he wanted. In the synopsis, Dan said that the uh, he slept fitfully every night, and that's partly because he couldn't do his meditation that he had done his whole life because he was embarrassed and nervous with those guards around him all the time. So he really wasn't able to do everything he he wanted to do. Which uh, which brings me to my next question. What is the role of the emperor? You know, he's supposedly the most powerful person in this kingdom, but he has all these roadblocks and tangles and restrictions and counters and that was probably actions. that was probably the most that was probably the most interesting part for me and it was also for me the most realistic mm-hmm. and that's one reason why I say it's kind of grim darky is just in the sense that um, like you read about king like you like a TV or movie king can just like kill people right um, but when you read real history, sure, there were kings that did that. They tended not to last that long. Um, right. They had to... Because they're, ha- they're dangerous right. and unpredictable. And- right. And if, and if you just kill people, why should, your no, why should your nobility support you? Why should bankers loan you money? Why should your peasants fight for you? Um, yeah. So I, I actually really liked that he was, he was kind of a puppet in many ways. Not always. I'm not saying he's a puppet, but in some ways... He's a figurehead more than... mm -hmm. I think certainly a lot of the powers were trying to make him into a puppet. I mean, that's what, like, the whole first part was about with the Lord Chancellor trying to be like, oh, we need to have the funeral first. And he's like, no, I need to be coordinated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, the Karajas I thought were really interesting because they're they're officially advisors to the Emperor, but they can basically filibuster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like any any proposal if they just if they just natter long enough then it won't be proposed which I thought was interesting yeah um, yeah I, I I feel very similarly just that it, it made me think differently about the way royalty is depicted in other fiction mm-hmm. and and just how much I appreciate and and sort of enjoy this depiction of you know this emperor who may sit on the throne and you know be sort of considered the uh, you know he's he's serenity he is nearly worshipped you know he's but gets a but, bunch of birthday you know, presents right, right. <laughs> but where does the power actually lie you know well it's interesting because it seemed like everyone was powerless to an extent like they so, all had those checks right. and balances. So, like that cult up north that it eventually tells you about, with like a hundred pages left. Um, like their whole cult thing is about like stealing power through killing. So, like, I I barely understood it. It wasn't a functional theology, <laughs> though, which is where a lot of my day job comes in is evaluating history, history and theology and stuff. But um, but this idea that like someone has a lot of power. And by removing them, you're taking that power. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, in in many ways, he is as powerless as a lot of the people under him, all the way down to, I mean, like, the person that he sends to investigate the shipyards is able to travel there and get a job and, like, talk, mingle with people and do all this stuff that the emperor cannot do. Um, you know, and here's a mid-level member of the court who has a lot more autonomy than than the emperor which is which i would argue is a type of power oh yeah absolutely in this case self-mastery yeah yeah that's i think that's a great point someone else talk (laughs) (laughs) can we talk about uh mayor mayor the uh this, was he a speaker for the dead? Is that I, I forget what the terminology was. Oh, oh the right, witness. the investigator witness guy. Witness for the dead. Yeah, yeah. witness for the dead. I'm, I'm thinking of Orson Scott Card. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, and if if I can interject a um, a discussion topic. Yep. So Mer Mer Sarahar, uh, we learn that he he lost his male lover uh, after this lover killed his wife and then Mayor Sarahar was was called in to provide the evidence mm-hmm. in his capacity as witness for the dead mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, so in in our uh, in our episode uh, for the stars are legion um, you know we talked about how that and and I used the word queer to dis, to describe that word, and I think that I'm safely using that as a hetero man. But if I'm being offensive, please let me know. Nah, uh, I think I, I think you're pretty much on. And I, I and so, I'm excited for your point because there is a distinct contrast. So the so the term, uh, and, and it's something that that pops up, um, that I've seen before is of sort of queer tragedy where a you know a gay character will be introduced in a story and then something awful will happen to that gay character 
and it's um, like life is strange, and you know, and it it sometimes feels like in, in order to make this character more palatable, uh, you know, for a for a mostly hetero audience, they are depicted as suffering because of you know because of their queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think Mare Sarahar is is maybe a, a a pretty big example of that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and do, I, and do I you think feel it's like an it's an odd detail. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I I think that. Uh, so I recently read. Uh, oh, what was it? What was it called? The Cabin at the End of the World. Uh, have either of you read that? Mm-hmm. So, so that may be, that may be my next pick. Uh, and so we, we maybe shouldn't discuss it too much, but the, the two main, the main characters in that book are a gay couple. Um, and in that book, it is, it is so important that they are a gay couple without getting too much into it. Um, that is a crucial, you know, that is a crucial detail about who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I think that is important. Important, but I also think that uh, that it's important that there are gay characters who are who are also just characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Dan. It sounded like you had a. Um, so it's like um, like in uh, what's the TV show we we watch where they're like uh, just like a regular guy, the cop show. I have no idea. We Are watched... you talking about Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> oh, okay. Where the police chief is gay, but he's uh-huh. just a regular dude. Like he doesn't have the voice <laughs> he, inflection. He is not he a is regular, not regular all, dude. He's, well, he's not all dramatic. <laughs> well, Do you know I, what I mean? love yeah. that show. I mean, so yeah, much. Well, I'm like normalizing his existence. Yeah. That he's 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 certainly worthy of dignity. Yeah, uh, at the very least. Yeah, um, and respect. I do. Um, you know, I I wonder. So, are you are you offering that as a potential complaint um, with the Goblin Emperor? That just has sure. this minor detail that just doesn't seem to it's fit with the rest of the story. Of, yeah, it kind of sticks out to me as, you know, it, it's a, this fantasy world where people can talk to the dead. Um, but, but two men still can't be together. Um, and I don't think that's exactly the point of that story. Um, you know, of, of Mayor Sarah Hart relating that. Um, but I did, th- it's, it stuck out to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that there, there are multiple opinions on what you can and should do with fantasy. Um, you know, should you portray fantasy in a way that, uh, like, for instance, women have autonomy, Um, you know, because they're saying, well, you're making a world of elves and goblins, but it's a, but is it a stretch that these women could have sexual autonomy um, rather than, than being married? And um, I tend, I tend to kind of fall on the other side of that argument where I I don't want to read, and, and it's fine if these books exist, but I, I tend to not want to read books that are kind of an ideal situation. I want to read books about uh, that are reflecting, you know, 
I, I don't t- I don't read books to let off steam. I read books. <laughs> I, I read books to take steam in. <laughs> to acquire steam. <laughs> yeah, I, I I read books so that I I can understand more, um, and see different opinions from different angles, um, and so I it does raise the question to me. I wonder if she. Catherine Addison, I think she's very interested in creating a world that is about restriction and not about, in any way, I don't think it's about liberation. Um, Like, it's such a relief when Maya finds out that the woman he's going to be marrying, who it points out that she's kind of cold at first and she's not necessarily pretty, he's not attracted to her, um, but he's so relieved that she, she's a person. Uh-huh. And that she has passions and interests, and she's willing to make it work, even if they don't know each other. To me, that's interesting because it's about restriction and about the way we operate within restriction and mm-hmm. making the best of of our conditions. Um, so, kind of to respond to your point, Brock. So they can make a world where there's magic, but they can't make a world where. You know, there's there's toleration. I feel like mm-hmm. that mirrors our world too. Yeah, we can go to the and moon, um, right. and we still struggle to assign, you know, foreigners basic dignity. Right. No, that's um, a good, that's a great point. You know, but I, I understand I understand the counterpoint, and I I'm not wholly unsympathetic to it. I I know a lot of people do read things, you know, to to relax and to uh, calm down. I. Where I guess I, I diverge is that I th- I think there's room for both, um, mm-hmm. and I I, clear, I I just think that in this uh, Addison is interested in uh, the whole narrative is about it's about struggling in a pit of tar for for a breath of air, <laughs> um, and I th- I think that's reflected. I I actually kind of liked uh, Mayor Kelahar. What did you say his name was? I Mayor Karahar or Sarahar. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Who knows? I I liked his story kind of as a counterpoint to Maya's. Um, Just that, like, he can't be with who he wants to be either. I mean, Maya can't. Um, Uh But, you know, I I, I don't disagree with your point. You know, he he is, in in a way, a a queer sacrifice on the altar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, sorry to hijack things. What do you think, Sam? But that you know, you brought him up, and that that was something that had stuck out to me. Yeah, sort of stuck in my craw. Yeah, that's a good point. Did you have a thought, Summer? No. Oh well, you're you're in charge. I know. So um, along the same track, um, talking about restrictions and um, holding people back. Do we feel that that this book? is trying to discuss racial prejudices and if it does if if we think it do you think it's doing it well because well, you know the difference between the goblins and the elves is pretty pronounced well, yeah, I mean, there is that right uh it's definitely an element mm-hmm. do we but, feel like that's one of the message like the messages of this book do we feel like this is a message book at all maybe i want to hear your opinion brock i I mean, I I think that it gets summed up in a in a pretty deliberate way in the last the last chapter when it you know talks about building bridges. Uh, 
I was I was sort of struggling to see the, the racial metaphors because and, and I it's not that I don't think they're there um, because you know when when someone calls when when someone assumes that a goblin is of lower intelligence and and a defining trait of goblins is darker skin you know it, it's hard not to see that uh, that parallel um, but I but I think that it has uh, I think it has other things to say um, that that don't always line up with with racial struggles. Mm-hmm. What what do you think? Yeah, I think if it was trying to do that, it's not doing it well. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to be a goblin more than I would want to be an elf. Why is that? Yeah, it sounded fun. Because well, like goblins are yeah. Just the snippets you get is that they're a little less stuffy. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, when his when his grandfather, the great Avar, uh, comes and he's like. We don't we don't behave like this in you know Goblinville. Um, yeah, and he's got a daughter who's like married to some pirate. Well it shows that even he's even reached that point, like where now he'll acknowledge his daughters. I, I do think it portrays a world where maybe people have begun to struggle against those restrictions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's about race. Qu- I, I think there's that element, but I don't think it's about that so much as it is about, uh, yeah, building bridges, breaking past restrictions, and that sometimes, in this context anyway, the way that you're breaking past those restrictions is in very, it's a very slow, <coughs> steady, sometimes not satisfying march. Uh, Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's what I that's what I got out of it. Um I mean I yeah, I, guess... I did think it was interesting that Maya calls his own dark skin ugly. Uh which, yeah. which you could you could talk about enculturation and stuff that even he has been raised to find himself hideous. Uh-huh. Um but again I don't I wouldn't say it's about that. Though it's you're right it's certainly present. Mm-hmm. So do you guys? So you guys don't feel like that there's a message here, like some kind of takeaway from the book? Oh no, I, 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 I think that's the message is is about slow, steady progress. What do you think, Brock? Or what do you, um, or what do you think, Summer? Did you did you have a message in mind? Do you think it has a message at all? Um, I think that's probably true, and I think that's the, um why not why but like the the religious group they the main evil dude was talking about how we created this change by blowing up you know that ship before we were paid to and we brought a you know we made you emperor is basically what he said and as true as that is as true as that is the uh um, even him, even him being emperor, you know, like we've been talking about, he really isn't able to accomplish very much. I mean, it takes how many pages is this book? It takes him like nine hundred, five hundred pages, pages yeah. to build a bridge. That's it's like almost five hundred to build a bridge that would be helpful for everybody. It's just that 
you know, it's taken 20 years for them to argue about it or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> so even when something dramatic happens, it doesn't enact immediate change either. What do you think, Brock? I, I think that one of the uh, maybe lesser themes uh, is sort of the, the cy- a cycle of abuse and, and cruelty. And mm. there are some, there's some really poignant points early on in the book where Maya sort of hears Sotheris' voice in his head. Um, and his instinct is to, you know, to be cruel, to berate someone. And he, you know, because of his experience with someone as cruel as Sotheris was, he, uh, he thinks twice, you know, he, he holds his tongue and, and he answers with kindness rather than, you know, than being vindictive. Um, oh, he is so kind. And he, and he really, you know, he really is. I, I would have liked to have seen him maybe give in to those because I, because I don't think that knowing you were treated cruelly prevents you from treating others cruelly. No, it's usually the opposite. Exactly. Usually that cycle just continues. So what do we think? Was he too perfect? Was Savet, his manservant, too perfect? I mean, is that just like the ideal combo? Is that how we say his name? I don't know, whatever. Um... I when I what I read of the pronunciation guide said that you have to pronounce every letter, and that C's are pronounced K. So I think it's Kesevet. Oh. But I but I don't know Savet. I don't care. Um, I did think he was weirdly loyal, like really quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he probably just saw an opportunity and jumped on it. He was like, Yeah, I can be really helpful to this guy. Yeah. This is my path. Let me be your secretary, yeah, this please. This is my path up. <laughs> um, he kind of says that too. But he didn't. No, I, I didn't. Did he say that? I felt like he did not have any sort of upward ambitions. Well, I think that makes me like I him think less. He kind of impl- I think he kind of implied it when he told Adressavar about his past with you know with Boing guy Drock. Boing, yeah. you know when he like hunted him in his castle, right. and then he oh, was yeah. like, he was like that weird. He was like, this is the only, Side this story. is the only way that a messenger can be like, you know, this is how we get it. This is how we right. He's also get a better breaking, life. He's also breaking across boundaries. I, uh, what was the question? Do we think? <laughs> do we think the goblin oh, emperor is he and his perfect? and his manservant secretary? That that's just like too perfect of a you combination in this grim, realistic okay. world. One of my, yeah, and I think it's at odds with how grim and realistic it is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my single favorite moment in the book, um, and and I thought this was super realistic, <clears throat> is when he was betrayed by his own bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the yeah. re- mm-hmm. and the reason I loved that is because in the history of like Rome, Roman emperors, the ones who kept assassinating Roman emperors were the Praetorian guard, the personal bodyguard of emperors. Because <laughs> they're the dudes who are like, have to stand outside your door while you get jiggy. They're the ones who are with you all the time. They have to <laughs> eat meals with you. If anyone has opportunity, it's these guys. And if you don't pay them enough, mm-hmm. or if they think your policies are dumb, why shouldn't they stab you and elevate one of their general buddies to your position? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so when, when one of his Nohetcheri 
uh, betrayed him. I I was so there. I really liked that moment. Um, okay, but, but we're talking about the emperor and his well, no, manservant. But, but here's where it falls apart: okay. is that is that if that guy deserved to die for that because you early on there's this line about like the fragile lies that royalty and servants tell each other to protect each other or something like that. And I do you remember that line, Brock? I don't. <laughs> I think I think it sounds vaguely familiar. So I really like that line. It's too long line. ago for me. Yeah, it was, <laughs> she, she finished a month ago. Um, but I liked that line because because how does something like the mayonnaise court um <laughs> They were all white. How does how does nah. how, how does it stay operating? It's because kind of everyone does their duty and doesn't break away from it. Um, right. So, or at, at least they keep it hidden. Like the chancellor kept hidden all of his right. It's laziness. It's, it's operating on comforting lies that this is your station and you can't do anything. But like his little socks servants could have stabbed him. There's nothing that technically <laughs> stops them from doing that. Hey, they loved their little black emperor. I know they, they loved do. him. I know. They loved their goblin emperor. <laughs> However, um, if, so it's not, so when, so when Maya is reluctant to allow the uh, suicide of, uh, of his bodyguard yeah, that seemed a little unnecessary. And and when he's he's like, I don't want to execute the Princess Shaven, or I don't want to execute the Lord Chancellor. Dude, kill him. <laughs> not only I'm not only saying that as someone who's reading it. I don't think I'm especially bloodthirsty. It's just these yeah. people have put the lie. They, they've they've exposed the lie that you can you can go at the emperor. Right. They must die. This isn't like Setheris who was exiled for being a little annoying to the emperor. Um, <laughs> they, it was a coup. Everyone involved in every one of these coups should have been killed. And, and it's not just, it, it, Maya was so forgiving. Um, and, and so I, so I do think there was a tension between those two types of fantasy. I think on the one hand, it was very grim, it was very dark, it was very fateful. But on the other hand, I feel like Catherine Addison wants Maya to almost be um, like a progressive out of his time. And, yeah. and, it, and to me, it comes across as, at times, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He's a benevolent uh, hero. You know, he, he wants... Uh... He wants to believe the best in everyone. And right. And that's fine, as long as, you know, I would expect him to have moments of actual temper and, like, acting on fear to, you know, well, remove people a, who might kill him. There's a couple times he, like, snaps at people or is okay. grumpy at people, but you're right, it's okay. not the same. So, like, that Mr. Rogers documentary recently, it shows how the, the worst thing about Fred Rogers is that now and then he would get impatient and snap at people on set. <laughs> that... And he is still the closest thing to a perfect human being. <laughs> if if that's the worst that you do, and we don't know it, about his past, like his childhood, or do we? I think we do. Oh. I, but um, he was a Marine Corps sniper, right? And he had sleeve tattoos, kills, and sleeve tattoos. Yeah, he had Wait, sleeve what? tattoos. That's um, why he always wore sweaters. Um, <laughs> we should we should not propagate that. That's right. all. Yeah, that's all. True. That's all fake. But um, but being a little snippy because you're sick of something, especially because nearly every time he got snippy, I was like, well, that dirt dude deserves to be shouted at. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really an imperfection so much. It's just like that's the one time. That's like going poop. You just do it now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maya didn't do that either. No, no. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Dresda book was never used. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you? So what did you think? Did you find him too perfect, Summer? Um. Or are you on the other side where you were like, <clears throat> I wish Dan was like this. Just yeah, serene. I wish, I wish Dan was more serene. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> I'm a high-strung fella. Um, to be honest, I didn't really think about it while I was reading the book. But looking back, I I do agree that he he was a little too forgiving and a little too nice to everybody when he had all the reason not to be um Brock how about you what do you think I I think I would have liked to have seen him out of his element more um you know because I I did not really believe that he would have come to the court as competent as he was. You know, he spent his, functionally his whole life banished, you know, to this dirt place. And, and, you know, and I just didn't think that Citharis would have, would have bothered to teach him anything. Uh, And, and, uh, but then he comes to the court and, and there are things he doesn't know, but I felt like he knew a great deal about, about life at court. Yeah. Um, and I think I, it, I think it could have been, uh, very interesting to see him uh, much more out of his element. But would that have often. been more enjoyable? You know, cause then it kind of yeah. would have really been like, you know, all these people that are in charge. I mean, he, he, when someone is that uneducated and they come to court, then they are taken advantage of and they do become the puppet emperors. I mean that's what history tells us. I wonder. Right. Yeah, I, I felt like he was. I, I, I guess I didn't think he was over skilled the way you did, Brock. Um, though I can see your point. I wonder. I kind of wanted him to have a, a personal struggle of some sort. Like I guess it does a little bit of that. Like like kind of in the middle of the book, he drinks a little bit at parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uh-huh. and he spends too much time checking out Min Vachine, though. Like, yeah. why why not? And um, never never drink anything that starts with meth. That's right. <laughs> yeah, methaglin. Yeah. Um, like so, and then by the end, it sh- like he's decided to decline drink. The problem is he never kind of he never stared out of a bottle or anything like that. Right. Like, like, like I like he I he simply slept fitfully. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I feel like the character arc was that he started, maybe not competent, but as the kind of young man who's, who's skilled enough to gain competence, and then it was just this. It was like a straight line as a character arc, just up, up, up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he got frustrated, um, but I, w- I would have liked to see him, like, he tended to think a lot of times. Like, oh, Sethrus would do this. I kind of wanted to see him indulge in his dark side now and then, and then have to say... Um, and, like, back off yeah, from it. Yeah, 
I, I want to decide. I mean, he's 19 years old. When you're 19, you're still formulating your idea of who you're going to be. Right. Um, I don't ever get the sense that Maya is form is, is in any way unsure of his actual identity. Like his core beliefs are super solid. He always tries to treat people with dignity, even when he fails. And uh-huh. like, like you said, Summer, he does snap sometimes, but he always recognizes it as wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there, immediately. Right. And there are a couple times. He snaps at one of the, the Corajard guy who's, like, trying to help him. Mm-hmm. And he snaps at, he snaps at his fiance. Um, but both of those times also were kind of justified. Like, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. just, he's just super, super perfect. Um, yeah. I mean... Do we feel like that act? Do we? So we, we've spent a lot of time grousing about it. Do we feel like it matters to the narrative? I think it could have introduced uh, some interesting conflict if if he was less so. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this book is slightly lacking in conflict. Um, Just slightly, because there's like and four I, conflicts. Yeah, you know that they exist. Um, but I, I think that it could have been, you know, there could have been more, more conflict, more, you know, maybe personal growth, um, because it, it really is sort of from the beginning that he is, he is benevolent and he wants to, uh, you know, he wants to make the, the right decisions and, and, you know, maybe if he had come into the court much more selfish and more bitter from his banishment that could have been an interesting place to start him as a character. Right. You know, I, I tend to think it's, I I tend to think conflict itself is kind of a, like writing school word. (laughs) Like, like you're told in order to write well, you have to have conflict. I don't think that's true. I think, I think the important thing is struggle. Uh, like, like I think that one of the things that makes this book so good is that it does do a good job of showing struggle even when there's no conflict. And, um, and I think that's much to its credit. Yeah. Um, I, but I think even the struggle would have been more interesting if I had felt like Maya was struggling against himself more often. Yes. Rather yes. than only against like people thinking he's ignorant and struggling against his ignorance and struggling against Lord Chavar being a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... But I, I don't want to grouse too much. I, I did end up coming... I, I did become very fond of this book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the right word for it. Is by the end, there were a few moments where I was, I was genuinely uh, quite pleased with certain yeah. scenes. Um, I think they're really touching things. Yeah, there were, there were a couple times where I was kind of had an aww moment. Um, <laughs> I, I really ended up... I, I ended up liking The Future Empress... I liked when yes. he vis- mm-hmm. when he had this friendship with a dying woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I that stands out to me as being really. Um, I think, and, and that's part of the uh, you know the cycle of cycle of of violence or the cycle of abuse, where he you know he has this this bond with this woman because she was kind to him at a time when no one else was and yeah and. And, and you know, and he recognizes no one was you know no one was there for his mother, um, and he can be there for this woman. And I th- I found that really touching. I like that moment a lot. Right. Did, was there anything that you found, Summer, that by the end you had, were regarding more affectionately? Uh, had, did you go through that personal reader arc at all, or were you just? <laughs> I 
just had no <laughs> idea who anyone was. <laughs> no, by the end I knew, you know, I could kind of figure out more easily who people were, you know. Like when the, he went to go visit the lady, the dying woman again, I was like, now who is that? And then I realized who it was pretty quickly, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I... I uh, I did like I did like the book overall, which is probably part of the reason I finished it so quickly. I'm not I generally don't read books quickly unless I like them. So. That's a good hint. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So we've said a lot of negative stuff. What is it that we liked? Uh, I mean, that's what I was getting at. With by the end, I really did feel a great deal of affection for some of. Maya's behaviors and the way he was treating certain people, uh, and I ho- I hope it doesn't come across as too negative because I mean I, I guess I've already said I I really like this book. Um, I I do think Casavet uh, is uh, I think he's I think he's the right amount of uh, quote unquote perfect. Um, he he has a, has a very pleasing competence to me. And I like seeing someone who's who's so uh, who's so good at their job, and and it's not a um, it's you know not a high high visibility, highly celebrated position, uh, but Kasavet excels at that job, mm-hmm. and, you know, and and it just made me think of like, you know, CEOs who have an assistant who is by far the more skilled and competent person, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and handles everything for, uh, for this person while making a tenth of their salary, you know. Does Kesevet ever sleep or anything? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> even, even the bodyguards, I liked that the bodyguards had shifts. Mm-hmm. Like, you just weren't like two dudes who lived as the emperor's, mm-hmm. like, extra legs or something. <laughs> like, they had to go and do stuff other times. But, um, Kesevet, like, I would think you would have two main secretaries. So they could work yeah, in shifts, too. I think. <clears throat> nope. It's too magical. Too awesome yeah. to have another, to have too a double. Good. Yeah. yeah. Truly was competent. Alright, I just have one more discussion point, and you fellas are welcome to add more or whatever. Um, in English, we don't use formal and informal speech patterns when yeah, talking anymore. to others. Yeah, not anymore. Is the use of it here effective or not? I mean, did it like add anything to the story? Did it not? I think anything? it's interesting that they were actually... like So English used to have thee and thou and thine, which was the informal. And now we've just decided that we use you, mm-hmm. which was the old formal. Um, I kind of thought it was interesting that they had like, maybe I was wrong about this, but I felt like they were using three degrees of formality because there was the and thou, which was the informal. There was you and I, which was like the regular, but then there was also like you all and we we, using a plural formal that was like higher than even that mid-level formal. Mm -hmm. Did you guys feel like that at all or was it just two levels of formality to you? Maybe it was three. I guess like maybe when he is talking with the kids and then he's like, like he even tells them like his real name and it's like 
well, now we're really, like, super informal. Yeah. Versus, like, using the royal we. And then when they wasn't... Yeah, I think they probably do use three levels. Maybe I was just conflating two of them. But, I mean, I think it... I mean, at the very least, it was illustrative of... You can't even talk. Yeah. <laughs> Another One more restriction, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Do either of you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, I'm good. Brock, I bet you have some discussion points. Um, I brought up my, my main one, and I, and I kind of talked about uh, the, the sort of idea of Grimdark having weight, being heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a cool point when uh, you know the assassin lunges at, at Maya and Kala kills him but then is, you know, shaking in pain and is, is drained. Um, and, and just the, the weight and significance of, of the magic in this world. Um, you know, that it's, there are, there are fantasy worlds where, you know, magic can be used to do anything and everything. And, um, you know, and in those worlds, you in stories in those worlds, you wonder why anyone does things by conventional means. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but in this one, you really see that you know magic exists, but is but it has a you know great cost. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that I have um, much to discuss that that hasn't already been discussed, but I like that depiction of of, and it, it fits in with. Uh, you know, with just this, the severity of this world, and that you know things have great costs and great weight. Hmm. When in that scene, the other bodyguard gets stabbed too. Yeah, they both got injured. And uh, even though he doesn't want to be, he's relieved when he's relieved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it it is a relief when he is relieved of his duty uh, by a replacement because you know he's been stabbed and his arm is cut up and he's lost some blood. Uh, that does add to the overall tone of the world. That I like that the new Nohichari was a woman. That was fun. Oh yeah, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. There were like some slight inroads for women in this book. I <laughs> though it was funny that they're like we're out of we're out of regular Nohichari. Yeah, we're out of everyone else. <laughs> so that's the only way you can and get I was in like, here, lady. What a crappy magic college that yeah. you're dabbling. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> you got like one we're person left. Yeah. Ah, and it's the female. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I so I guess where we where we've landed is people in power want to hold on to their power and need to be blown up, right? Well that's, that's the conclusion of the book. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well like there was a point when they mentioned like more people die in the factories of the north in a month than died on this crash. Uh-huh. And there was a part of me that was like is Maya ever going to be like, well, we should look into that. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get around to that. Out of my purview for this but, uh, rain. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in the sequel. So are there more in this series, or is this the only one? I This is the only one currently. Mm. Yeah. When did she there, write it? When is it? Uh, I think 2015. Oh, okay. So pretty recent. I yeah, guess this there is could be more. copyright 2014, so probably oh, okay. published the next year, maybe. Hmm. 
Yeah, first edition was April 2014. Mass market edition, March 2015. So I, I think I've seen a sort of untitled Goblin Emperor sequel. Mm. But I, I, I mean, I think this is great as a standalone. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it needs complete. to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I was just wondering because maybe we can. I was wondering if we could find out what some of those words meant. Yeah, <laughs> who some of those people were. <laughs> yeah, maybe the the sequel will just be one big index. Yeah, <laughs> just a companion. Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds good. I don't actually think people in power should be blown up. That our they our official probably space space book space position. We do not space we do not positions. think that our space position. We do not feel that way. <laughs> However, it's only because our official position is the guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> there oh, <we> boy. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have any other discussion topics? I'm done. Set. I think, I think that was a uh, productive and, and rousing discussion. Uh, thank you all for joining us. On this episode of the Space Biff Book Space, our uh, I, th- oh, I have, next time I have neglected to um, because I'm thinking of it now. I have neglected to say our theme music is by Chad Crouch, and it is called Tur- Turkey Vulture. Ooh! So thank you to Chad Crouch for our theme music. Nice. Uh, next month, summer. What are we going to read? I would like to choose next month's book discussion to be on The Obelisk Gate, which is N.K. Jemisin's second Hugo winner, second book, you know, in that series. Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, there you are. Excellent. So, uh, as always, please... uh, read along with us please send us emails at spacebiffbookspace at gmail.com we can be found on twitter in our respective uh, capacity capacities at Dan Thoreau and at Brockstar B-R-O-C-K-S-T-4-R and uh yeah thanks everyone yes good night thou art done (laughs) we we are done we are done the the royal we yeah yeah royal we (laughs) each of us we are done